From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. November 9th, 1966. According to some, Paul McCartney died. So, in fact, Paul McCartney never wrote Maybe I'm Amazed, which is my favorite McCartney song. He never formed the band Wings. He never clashed with Yoko Ono, became a vegetarian, fathered any of his children. And when Queen Elizabeth knighted him in 1997, she was actually knighting someone else. As I say, this is because conspiracy-minded Beatlemaniacs say McCartney secretly died in 1966 and the other Beatles covered up his death. They even hired someone who had the same jovial personality. But the guilt, so the theory goes, eventually got to the other members of the band, and they began hiding clues in their music. We're about to unravel the mystery that Paul is dead with one of my favorite guests on the program, a native Tennessean with a passion for rock and roll, a published author with Simon & Schuster, and a rock and roll investigator extraordinaire, R. Gary Patterson's works portray many fascinating events that helped shape musical history from Robert Johnson through current groups making a place for themselves among rock and roll's standing legends. In 1996, Patterson released his first book entitled The Walrus Was Paul, which looked at this very rumor, this legend, Paul is Dead. And immediately the book became highly sought after. Beetlefest catalog proclaimed The Walrus Was Paul as one of the, its best-selling titles of the year. And due to the instant success of the book, Patterson found himself as a highly sought after radio personality. And he's a great friend of this program. Our Gary Patterson, welcome once again to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm doing great, Richard. How are you? I'm very well. A little wet. Spilled my water. <laughs> what? Who else can I be on the radio with? And they start with sort of a paraphrase from Shakespeare's Richard III. I mean, <laughs> fabulous, man. That's great. So, and of course, the last time I saw you, we were in Nashville eating barbecue, too. That's we? right. On, like, one of the hottest days in in uh, recorded history, I think. <laughs> Yeah, we, we, I think they, they cooked the barbecues on the hoods of our cars that day, on the ribs, yeah. <laughs> it's hot. <laughs> a good memory, though. It was great to see you. You person. too, you too. So take me, take us back. Uh, how did this rumor get started, uh, that, uh, that, um, Paul died in a car crash in 1966? First, before we do that, what, supposedly how did he die in 66? It was a car wreck, wasn't it? Well, you know, that's what makes it all so interesting. And, before we start, I'd have to say, I don't know of any other band that could create the hysteria that the Beatles did with Paul is Dead. I mean, I haven't heard anything on New Kids on the Block, you know. Nothing like that. And just imagine how this would go if the Internet was back then. Oh, I mean, man. it was like everybody was clamoring for as much information. It was almost a sense of power to get the clues. So before we do the date of the accident let's let's find out why it was reasonable why people would even think that in the united states and and in canada as well but you know the united states was really the hotbed of it i know that if anybody who grew up in the 1960s the early 60s 
had gone through the Kennedy assassination, the Warren Commission report, and Richard, as well as anyone, you know the holes in that whole story. Right, right. And then Robert Kennedy's assassination, Martin Luther King's assassination, the war in Vietnam, and the government wasn't this warm and fuzzy group that took care of your needs. You know, matter of fact, they, they silenced dissidents. So, Beatlemania the effect it had on American youth and all that, a lot of people believe that could have been a problem. So it was believable if you were growing up at the time and you were a Beatle fan to realize that something terrible like that could happen, that political assassinations, all of that. Now, it had nothing to do with McCartney, but it was a climate that made us believe. And that, to me, that was even more, I guess, more compelling with that. Now, the thing that made the Beatles a target was their music changed so radically. If you remember the first few Beatle albums, you know, they were just very pop-oriented, based a lot on the Brill Building sound. They wanted to be like Carole King and Jerry Goffin as far as songwriters. Sure, hey, Mr. Postman. Soul, which was a change, and then when Revolver came out, and introduced Psychedelia, and you had the backward tracks, and there were backward sounds, you know, it wasn't a backward track, but like on Tomorrow Never Knows. And then when Sgt. Pepper came out, it changed everything. The Beatles didn't sound like the Beatles. The Beatles didn't look like the Beatles. A lot of people were a little confused, and a lot of people really didn't like the direction the Beatles were going in. They wanted them to stay the same as, I, I want to hold your hand and she loves you. Of course, a group like the Beatles, they have to evolve, and that's what they were doing. So there had to be a reason. How did the Beatles change? And then the rumor came out that Paul McCartney had been killed in a car accident on November 9, 1966. Now, the date is documented in several Beatle histories about an accident McCartney had. And so you had that starting date. So obviously, if McCartney was gone, the cute Beatle, John wasn't popular in the United States because of his comments that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus Christ. Mm. The Beatles hated touring. Because in Memphis, uh, someone said that they were going to shoot them on stage or shoot John, and someone threw firecrackers. And then when they appeared in the Philippines, George turned to the other Beatles and said, you know, it's not fun being a Beatle anymore. So they secluded themselves in the studio. They didn't play live. So a lot of people were trying to find out why the Beatles weren't performing, how the music changed, and what's responsible. So this elaborate theory started that McCartney had been killed, that the Beatles themselves were forced to bring in an imposter, a lookalike, and that this person was not McCartney, obviously, but he would allow the Beatles to perform, to record their albums, and the Beatles could gradually just disappear. And the money would come into the coffers of EMI, the Warren Industries, Great Britain, and the Beatles themselves. But probably John Lennon gets the credit for this, that it was his idea to hide clues so that the fans would know about the imposter and know that what was being put on in front of them was a fraud. And that's what started in 1969, and it became probably the greatest hysteria next to Orson Welles' War of the World right, right. that swept the country. And but why did it take so long, uh, Gary, for the... Uh, for this legend, I mean, it was a. It was, someone called a. Uh, let me turn my microphone around here. Finally, okay. So, <laughs> someone called a DJ in Detroit. Yeah. Uh, um, and and this was in 1969 and started laying out all these clues. The DJ wow. broke format, started talking about this for two hours. I think ended up getting fired for it. 
So why did it take three years for this Paul is dead rumor to actually gain traction? Well, you know, that's what's really interesting. I know that you're talking about Russ Gibb in Michigan, and the caller's name was Tom, and he calls Russ, and he says, hey, I want to rap with you about McCartney being dead and all that. And then, of course, Russ Gibb hadn't heard anything about it, and then slowly Tom starts laying out the clues. And everybody started listening to the show. It started to spread. It went to New York with Roby Young, who many claim was fired because he was really pumping out the legends all across the country. And he was removed. They came down and told him that he was starting a riot, that he had to get off the air, that people were calling in. So it became popular in 69. But, you know, your your question is, why did it take so long? And And let's take a look at it. I think the Beatles, you know, when there's three different reasons for this. First of all, it could be just totally ridiculous that a lot of people just made things fit. And it's kind of funny because, like, for instance, you know, there was a group who said the word Apple, the Beatles label, is if you put an A in front of a word like a religious, it means without religion. So Apple means without pull. Ah, that is a bit of a stretch. Listen, Gary, let me get you to hold on. Let me get you to hold on. We'll take a time out. We'll come back and we'll start to delve into some of these clues that you have so masterfully uh, sort of unraveled. In your seminal work, 1996's The Walrus Was Paul, rock and roll investigator R. Gary Patterson on The Conspiracy Show, Paul is dead. Back with more. Stay with us. Keeping an eye on the new world order, this is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back to The Conspiracy Show, and we're, uh, I guess, commemorating the, what would it be, the 46th anniversary of Paul McCartney's death. Yes, some say, some diehard conspiracy theorists within the uh, the Beatles uh, uh, fan community believe that McCartney was killed in an automobile act. Horrible, a fiery crash in uh, November 9th, 1966, stormed out of a recording session while doing uh, Sgt. Pepper's at about 5 o'clock in the morning, jumped in his car, supposedly, according to this legend, picks up a female hitchhiker, who is so amazed and so gobsmacked that she's just been picked up by one of the Fab Four that she tries to hug him and he loses control of the vehicle, smashes into a stone wall, is decapitated, burnt to a crisp. Uh, and then, of course, the uh, the Beatles are um, going to high gear in to, uh, to cover this up. Uh, Gar- R. Gary Patterson is with us, uh, the author of The Walrus Was Paul, who uh, unraveled this mystery uh, going back some 16 years ago and a good friend of the program. Uh, so, Gary, the the um, the idea was that if they didn't cover this up, and if McCartney was dead, it would have would have what meant the end of the Beatles. Uh, it would have meant the end of um, uh, well, I, I can't imagine. Um, you know, I, I can imagine rather that the, you know the, the the Beatles were probably one of the main exports for Britain at the time. I mean, millions of dollars must have been coming coming into the uh, into the royal coffers at this point. And you'd be right because you know it was the financial thing. It was the you know just a, a huge amount of money that was coming into Great Britain. And McCartney was the cute Beatle. He was the most popular. And, you know, John Lennon had been a bad boy with his reference to, uh, you know, to God being not as, a, as big as the Beatles. So, you know, there was, there was an effect there. So, I mean, people always try to put things together, Richard. As you know, one plus one equals three sometimes. Yes. And as they did that, that was, that was the basis of the thing. Now, 
when you look at these rumors, the first one, you know, we were talking about, it's just totally ridiculous that people made fiddle like taking a sledgehammer and smashing a round peg in a square hole. And they were looking for clues that went back to 1964-65. So if you give any credence to this, then it would have to be after the Beatles' second world tour, if it did happen, which would make November 9, 1966, you know, a plausible thing because they had returned. And the next set of clues would be guided looking and guided listening. And if you look at the album covers, you know, does the yellow hyacinth guitar on the grave, does it really spell out Paul question mark? If you look at it, it's left-handed. All right, McCartney was the only left-handed Beatle in the band. If you count the strings on the instrument, there's only three. Well, there were four Beatles. Now there would only be three. This is the Sgt. Pepper cover. This, this is the Sgt. Pepper cover. Yeah, Sgt. Yeah. Pepper's. But if you go back, and you go back um, uh, the album, a couple of albums before, um, I can't remember the um, the name of the, Yesterday and Today. Mm-hmm. The original album cover, and this is a collector's item, because it oh, featured yeah. the, the Fab Four there, and they all had these horribly disfigured, mangled dolls. <laughs> All over them, on their lap, on their, you know, draped over their shoulder and so forth. It was, it was pulled off the market, I guess, because it was seen as distasteful. Yes. But supposedly that's a clue, right? Well, the idea was, you know, it was a butcher cover. If you want to make a clue to it, you, if you go back and look at the butcher cover, McCartney has his mouth open and it's like he has no teeth, like his teeth were knocked out in the accident. And George is holding a, a headless doll next to him. Now that might, that's probably a great stretch. But, and then the rumor that the Beatles were objecting to Capitol Records butchering their albums because the songs were placed in different order in the United States than they were in Great Britain. But the record company wasn't very, well, they were appalled by the avant-garde cover the Beatles did. So they pasted a number of them up, and that became the Beatles yesterday and today. And if you look at the pasted cover, it looks like McCartney is sitting in a trunk, which some people interpreted as a coffin, and the other Beatles are around him. And, of course, the title, Yesterday and Today. All right, Yesterday, you know, Paul's famous song, Today, Paul's Dead. So people look back. I don't think it went that far back. I think that's a really good stretch. But if you look... To me, Sergeant Peppers is the answer, because I honestly believe that the Beatles actually planted some clues themselves, and I've got an interesting theory on why they did that. But but still, you know, it was brilliant the way they did it. And there's a lot of things on Sergeant Pepper on the cover. If you've got your Sergeant Pepper album, I do, right here in front of me. Well, Richard, that's because you're always up on everything, my friend. <laughs> well, I knew you were going to come around to the Sergeant Pepper, and of course. Uh, you know, with, with the Beatles, all roads lead to Sgt. Pepper. So, yeah, let's walk through some of the clues then. Okay, first of all, let's start with the wax figure Beatles. Yes. And if you'll notice, several of them are looking down at this, which appears to be a freshly dug grave. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I think Lennon's looking up because, you know, he doesn't follow it. He's trying to get the truth. And the other Beatles, they're all dressed the same, the wax figures, but if you look at the Beatles, in the center, they're dressed in these psychedelic colors, you know, like butterflies that have come out of cocoon, you know. And it's all differences. And then if you look at the grave itself, it has beetles. It doesn't have the beetles. So a lot of people say, oh, well, there are beetles on the album, but not the band. There's something missing. Mm-hmm. Like the four strings on a bass guitar, well, there's only three strings on the bass guitar. If you look at McCartney's hand holding his instrument, he has three fingers 
on the instrument another reference to the number three. And then there were now, three, yes. Yeah, it would be hard to say, okay, you're going to, all right, your name is Billy Shears, you're going to take his place. And, uh, oh, would you mind holding three fingers to show everybody you're not real? You know, I mean, who knows how you could do that, but you have that. And then there's the doll figure as you go to the right of it. Yes. And she's sitting in this stuffed figure's lap. And if you'll look, it's got a driving glove on its left hand, and it appears to be caked in blood. I never noticed that. There you yeah. go. Okay. So a left-handed figure. If you look down directly in front of the doll, it appears one of the arrangements appears to be a car crashing with flames coming out of the back. Do mm. you see that? Yes. You mentioned that you mentioned the the the, the bloody shoes. Oh uh, yeah. Um, that's um, uh, in Magical Mystery Tour. That's it. There's a scene where Paul McCartney is playing in his sock feet, in his stocking feet, mm-hmm. standing beside a pair of bloody shoes. That's so there's right, that right. motif again. Yeah, that's pretty spooky. And then if you read the bass drum on the on the Magical Mystery Tour album, which were basically songs left over from Sgt. Pepper's, if you read it, it says, Love the Three Beatles. Mm-hmm. Yes. But there's four, right? Yes. Interesting. And uh, even the word love, if you look at it carefully, it almost looks like Paul, if you'll look at it. But going back to the Sgt. Pepper cover, I mean, they have figures who are notoriously bad. You have figures who are comedians. You have uh, gurus. You have people of enlightenment. So the left-hand path, if you look at the top row, the second figure from the top is Aleister Crowley. Yes, yes. Now, why was he on a Beatle cover, you know? But it's in the left-hand path. So I think the Beatles are trying to, to make a statement, you know, about yin and yang and all of this, you know, their enlightenment. But to me... The one thing that no one can explain, and we're going to come to this now, is if you look in the crowd, you see Carl Jung, all right? You'll yes. also see a guy whose name is Lewis Carroll. Yes. And you'll also see Edgar Allan Poe, a, a number of notables. Edgar but, Allan Poe. Yeah. Winston Churchill. Uh, Lewis Carroll wrote Alice's Adventures Through the Looking Glass. Yes. So that was a clue, because the clue was that you could use a mirror and you could find these clues. For instance, back to Magical Mystery Tour, the word Beatles on Magical Mystery Tour, if you held the album upside down and you connected the large stars, then a phone number would uh, would appear that you could call and get the truth. <laughs> a lot of people at that time, now this is 1969, some people called and they said that when they called the number, a funeral home answered. Well, Ooh. that's spooky. Another group of people claimed that a mysterious voice only said, you're getting closer. And then finally, another voice appeared to some callers and was quizzing them on Beatle history with a chance to send them to a place called Pepperland. And as soon as the clues hit, the number was disconnected. So that was kind of interesting. But now, the, the, uh, also the, on the album cover, you got the Lonely Hearts, uh, the words Lonely Hearts on the drum logo. That's and it. again, That's with cool. the mirror, that mm-hmm. mirror trick, what does that spell? Okay, this, this to me was the smoking gun of the whole thing. Because if you take the bass drum, which you got to admit, Richard, it looks like if it was in the center over a freshly dug grave, it would have to be a tombstone. And the painter of the, of the drum skin's name was Joe Epgrave. And at first it looks like Epgrave, epitaph on a grave. Mm. Well, I want you to know that I have talked to Joe Epgrave's granddaughter, and she said, you know, about her grandfather being actually commissioned to do this. And they think that they have the two drum skins, the original 
uh, artwork he was doing in their barn or whatever. I said, well, if you have that, you, you've got an awful lot of money. But there really is a Joe Epgrave. We thought that, well, Joe Epgrave may be a clue with the name, but that existed. So anyway, what you have to do is you take a straight-edge mirror, and you place it in the center of Lonely Hearts, and you read from the reflection to the album cover, and the first thing you see is numeral one, and then it spells O-N-E, and then you have numeral I-X, and then it says he die. And between he and die is a diamond-shaped arrow that points straight up to Paul McCartney and down to the grave. So McCartney just happens to be standing where the arrow points directly to him. And over his head is an open hand that picks him out of the crowd. Life magazine said that in Far Eastern societies, an open hand over someone's head was a symbol of death. Well, you know, that fits in great, which you already know what the outcome's going to be. But <laughs> to me, he's picked out of the group, and the drum scan points directly at him. Now, what all this means at first, I thought it could be one of the Beatles, the one with nine letters, he died, because McCartney's the only Beatle with nine letters. I've also heard it in, interpreted as one, 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 X, like you're crossing one out, he died. But what you got to look at, if it's a actual epitaph on a tombstone, then what you have to do is you'd know that it would give you the date of death. So if you put it together, like one, numeral one, and then O-N-E, those two ones make 11. Right. And then Roman numeral I-X is nine. So you have 11, nine, he die. Well, 11, nine is November the 9th. Now, what's really spooky when I was doing this, I thought, well, you know, in Great Britain, it would be the day and then the month, all right? So it would be 9-11, right? Mm -hmm. Which would be, you know, in American history, think about 9-11. Sure, you know, sure. Oh, my gosh, September 11th. But, you know, it didn't fit as far as the clue goes because the clue was November 9th. Now, to make it even more interesting, the Sgt. Pepper cover was the first album in history that actually had the lyrics on the back. So if you turn the album cover over to the back, you'll see that the lyrics are all there, and George Harrison is pointing with his thumb to a certain line from the song She's Leaving Home. And the line says, Wednesday morning at 5 o'clock, as the day begins. Well, November 9th, 1966, was a Wednesday. And the accident was reported to have been at 5 o'clock. So here on the back, on the blood-red cover, Harrison's pointing to the line Wednesday morning. Wow. To say, to say nothing of Lennon's A Day in the Life, which had the lyrics, he blew his mind out in a car. <laughs> That's right. He hadn't noticed the lights had changed. But listen to this line. Uh, when he says nobody was really sure if he was from the House of Lords. That's what the lyric says. But when you listen to it, listen carefully. Because he goes into falsetto, and it sounds exactly like he's saying nobody was really sure if he was from the house of Paul. Ah. So when you get a chance to listen to Day in the Life again, check that out. It's it's almost as if, as you say, they they were playing they were playing into this that they their their publicists or the Beatles themselves were taking advantage of this rumor, deliberately putting these clues in there because this is just too neat and tidy. That's what I think. I mean, I can't discount that the phrase lonely hearts on that drum skin would just innocently reveal that. 
with McCartney standing in the exact position. So the question is, who came up with the idea of calling the album Lonely Hearts Club Band? All right. I know that McCartney was thinking about calling it Dr. Peppers, and then they realized it was soft drink. They couldn't do that. So Sergeant Peppers, and then, uh, you know, like a band in the, in the street. But the story goes from what I've researched. Just hold on there. Hold on. We'll, we'll pick yeah. up on that story when we come back. Yeah. Who was oh. this, this member, this fictional member of the band called Billy Shears? Was that the new Paul? Back with more of my conversation with R. Gary Patterson. Paul is dead. Right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. A pleasure to report that Beatle Paul McCartney is alive and well, and as he puts it, unconcerned about the rumors of his death. Any parent can testify the lifestyle of the Beatles has always been somewhat different. And if you believe current rumor... Their style of revealing Paul McCartney's alleged death is being carried out with singular taste. Paul doesn't have shoes on. To some, that is a death symbol. Well, there he is. He walks, he talks, he sings. Paul McCartney of the Beatles. He finally got in front of a camera in Glasgow today to put an end to the speculation that he is no longer among the living. He is. And now the whole world has been apprised of that fact. October 69, three weeks after the Beatles' celebrated Abbey Road album was released, WKNR-FM's Russ Gibb took a call from a man who identified himself only as Tom. The Detroit DJ listened as the caller carefully laid out clues hidden in Beatles songs and album art, which he said indicated Paul McCartney had died on November 9, 1966, in an automobile accident. Listeners began deluging New York City radio stations with evidence and soon the rumors spread around the world. Was this a Beatles publicity stunt? A fan-feeding frenzy fueled by clues left as an inside joke by John Lennon? Or was Paul really dead? Our Gary Patterson, rock and roll investigator, author of The Walrus Was Paul, uh, as well as uh, Hellhounds on Their Trail, uh, joins us here on The Conspiracy Show to discuss. And um, uh, before the break, we were talking about... Uh, uh, I've, now I've lost our, our, our train there. Where, where were we, uh, uh, Gary? We were discussing the um, the lyrics from uh, Strawberry Fields Forever, was it? Or um, he blew his mind out in a car, a day in the life. Yeah, just uh, as it ends, you know, the idea that no one was really from the house of Paul. Right. And, of course, you know, when you take a look at Strawberry Fields Forever, that was a major clue at the time. And if you listen to the end, of course, you hear a voice that appears to say, I buried Paul. And that was supposedly John Lennon reminding everyone that he was the one who had buried him. He was his best friend, his songwriting partner. And then later when the anthology came out, it became clear that the voice said, Cranberry Souls. Well, <laughs> How do you confuse cranberry sauce for I buried Paul? Yeah, cranberry sauce, I buried Paul. Well, Derek Taylor, the Beatle press officer, when they asked him if uh, John had said, I buried Paul, Derek said, no, no, I was in the studio with him. I distinctly heard what he said. He said, I'm very bored. <laughs> so if you listen, I swear, if you listen, you can hear all three phrases. It just shows, you know, how... You know, the power of suggestion actually makes that happen. I call that guided looking and guided listening. Sure, sure. Listen, in order for McCartney's death to have been kept under wraps, they would have needed a lookalike to substitute for him. Yes. Now, so who was it? Who Was there an actual Billy Shears <laughs> or a Billy well, Shears Campbell? Well, William Campbell 
who uh, actually was supposedly from Canada, uh, winner of the Paul McCartney Lookalike Contest. That was convenient for him. And uh, a lot of people thought, remember the singer Keith, who had the song 98.6? I believe Keith had actually won a Paul McCartney Lookalike Contest. But, uh, yeah, you, you heard that name. And then you heard the name uh, Billy Shears, whose father's name was Philip Shears. And they lived in Chelsea. And, I mean, it became... I don't know. You had a lot of publications that were picking up and, and bringing this out. Now, the, the reason Billy Shears comes out is that in the song Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, McCartney sings, I don't really want to stop the show, which would be a reference to, since he's dead, he doesn't want to end the power of Beatlemania. But I think you might like to know the singer wants to sing a song. He wants you all to sing along. So let me introduce to you the one and only Billy Shears of Sergeant Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band. And then the all Beatles sing together, Billy Shears. And what's the first thing he says? What would you think if I sang out of tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? So the idea of this imposter came in who uh, the Beatles had brought and was forced to keep him in the band so the you know, the great money would still flow into the coffers. And it's pretty funny now, because if you look at it in 69, much more believable. But you got to remember, this guy, the imposter, if he really did come in, he wrote better songs than McCartney. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the post-McCartney, you know, post-66 McCartney, even uh, yeah. some of the stuff that he's doing now, I mean, <laughs> and, yeah. and I think without question, the greatest bass player out there, even today. I mean, the, the, he plays that thing like it's a lead guitar. He does. And I think that's the one thing about McCartney. He's a fabulous bass player. And he and James Jamerson from Motown were probably the two most instrumental basses, you know, to define the instrument. Now, you may argue Doug Dunn from Booker T and the MGs, who recently passed away. But when I think of Jamerson, I think of McCartney. Matter of fact, when the Beatles did Drive My Car, it was a tribute to James Jamerson the bass lines that he would create. So, you know, they were in there. And the funny thing is, McCartney really didn't want to play bass. The story goes that when Stu Sutcliffe decided he would stay in Germany and be an artist, that the Beatles got together, and John said, well, I can't play bass because I just bought this brand-new Rickenbacker. And then George says, well, I can't play bass because I brought this brand-new Gretsch. And Paul looked at him and said, okay, I'll play bass, and I'll pick up a cheap bass guitar. So he picks up a Hofner. Mm. And he made <laughs> and he made that instrument famous. Listen, he another time into an icon. So another timeout, Gary awaits. Listen, we'll take another quick timeout. Come back yeah. and finish up and uh, discuss uh, clues on Abbey Road and who was this Maxwell and his silver hammer? Was he an MI6 agent who was hired to keep them in line? We'll find out. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Uh, our Gary Patterson is with us. Just a few moments remain to discuss the Paul is dead legend that will not die. A number of uh, people still believe that McCartney was replaced by a double, or doubles, I should say, because I'm just looking at a website here, and it says, um, a biometrical analysis by a team of Italian forensic scientists has proven Paul McCartney was replaced by a celebrity impersonator in 1966. The mand mandibular curve... The tragus, the nasal spine, the palate, and the canines were suddenly different, making it impossible that it was the, the same person. And then many others looked at the, the photographs with uh, McCartney's um, uh, uh, girlfriend, Jane Asher, and noticed a height discrepancy with uh, the faux Paul, or fall, as some call him, the old Paul McCartney. Uh, and, that, and then it goes on to say that the, the, the faux Paul, whether it was Billy uh, Campbell or someone else, 
um, ended up sort of retiring in 1980, and then he was replaced by a third Paul, someone by the name of Phil Ackrell, who also had plastic surgery. Ackrell mostly took over until 2002 when the real Paul... Oh, now this theory is that Paul McCartney, uh, uh, Paul McCartney didn't die, but retired in 1964. Anyway, it's very convoluted. <laughs> if you're, if you're connecting the dots, uh, God bless you. But, uh, anyway, our Gary Patterson. Um, <laughs> uh, Abbey Road. Of course, we have that famous, some call it a funeral procession across mm-hmm. the Abbey Road, where John dressed in white is the clergy, George in black is the, the mourner, uh, sorry, George in, in denim is the grave digger. Ringo, I guess, is the mourner, and Paul is in barefoot, therefore the, the, the corpse. Yeah, he's also got his eyes closed, holding a cigarette in his right hand, whereas McCartney was left-handed, and he's got a very old suit on that's at least three years old. So, you know, that's what they say as far as the procession. The, the one thing that's kind of interesting about it, if you look carefully, McCartney is out of step with the other three. The others start with their left foot. McCartney starts with his right foot. So he's different in the picture. And most of the pictures, McCartney, he was portrayed differently to bring attention to him. So one of the first things you ask on the show was, you know, why did this wait till 1969? Well, remember the White Album when the song Glass Onion came out is when John Lennon saying, I told you about the walrus and me, man. You know that we're as close as can be, man. He says, and here's another clue for you all. The walrus was Paul. So when he said, here's another clue for you all, that infers that there were clues in the past. Right, Making sure you're paying attention. Now, you may say that the Beatles did this because their fans were constantly looking for all these fine little details in all their work. So they said, okay, let's have a game with this. Let's see what we can do. But in January of 67, there was a rumor that went through England that McCartney had been killed on icy roads on the M1 motorway. And it was a little hysterical. So Abbey Road actually called, the studio actually called McCartney at his St. John Woods home and asked how he was. He said, well, I'm fine. So I'm beginning to wonder, in January of 67, if that was the beginning of, wow, this might be fun. But I have another theory, too, Richard, I'm going to share on your show. I think that with the making of the Sgt. Pepper's album, it was a great risk to the Beatles because they knew everything was going to change. And, of course, they were inspired by the Beach Boys' pet sounds. So what if they decided to put a few clues on there? And if the album didn't sell very well, if the clues came out, people would be buying the album to find the clues. Ah, uh, makes sense. A great marketing ploy. And what about these, this photographic or biometrical analysis? I mentioned Jane Asher, and and uh, uh, people pointed to the uh, the picture of uh, McCartney with Jane Asher and the height discrepancy. Uh, and then we have this uh, supposed Italian forensic scientist proving McCartney was replaced because they they looked at the mandibular curve, which is mm-hmm. the jawline. The nasal spine, the palate, the canines are different. Sure, but you know what makes this interesting is that these supposed doctors have never come forward and said, okay, this is what I have. In Life magazine, there was a, a Dr. Toby who was in University of Miami, and he was the one who did a voice analysis and said the voice was not Paul McCartney's. Uh, when he sampled the voice, and he had had this thing, but when it came time to be on television and make the announcement, he uh, 
he didn't show up. You know, he refused to get up there. And you got to remember, in the United States, Richard, there was actually a television show on this that was hosted by F. Lee Bailey. Yes, yes. <laughs> and listen to this. The whole video has disappeared. That show no longer exists. I have the audio for it. Not, and somebody sat in front of a in front of the TV set with a tape recorder, and you can hear a little sixty cycle hum on it. But I do have the tape, and listen to all the questions. And the story goes that when F. Lee Bailey asked Fred Labore, the one who came up with the very descriptive crossing of Abbey Road, he said, "Is there, is there anything to this?" And Fred Labore says, "Nah, we just made it up." He says, "Well, we got to make it look real." So they went into the show. So that's what makes it interesting. You know, what about those photographs, though? Uh, I, I... Yeah, well, I'll tell you about the photographs. Those photographs were taken. Uh, there were a number of pictures taken on the same day. And there's a picture where McCartney's much taller than Jane Asher. Uh, there's pictures that they may not have shoes. The camera angles are different. Okay. Why would it be significant if he were taller than Jane Asher? Because she well, was... would imply, I think he was supposed to be shorter. You know, he was not as tall. Right. But uh, the idea was that would imply that the difference in his height would mean he was an imposter. Now, the other thing that I've seen is a face that morphs from McCartney in 64, and the faces do not match after, say, in 67. And the funny thing about it was when I did this, I did this on Coast to Coast one night. Let me tell you, I actually went to a TBI agent. From who had studied at the at the famous body farm, and went over the forensics on how this was with a photograph, and it's on my side. But you know the idea that the face can morph. The thing that really sort of brought it down was that they had Tara Brown's face morphing into McCartney. So they said, well, you know, Tara Brown may have taken McCartney's place. Well, Tara Brown was killed. He was the character killed, and he blew his mind out in a car. He was driving his Lotus. And he was killed there. And his girlfriend with him at the time had predicted that two other men would die because of her. And she was right, because she had dated Brian Jones. He died. Mm. And Jimi Hendrix. But anyway, the whole story goes that, you know, too many faces that morphed into McCartney. So that, And, and then there, if you know anything about really good uh, photographic uh, evidence and how to do it, you know, faces are stretched when they put them in pictures on album covers. So... I've seen all the evidence with that. Uh, I would like to hear the doctor come forward and really show some evidence with it. But, you know, you could do DNA testing. I mean, McCartney's uh, brother, Mike McGear's there. And all you have to do is take a hair with a hair root. You've got DNA. You could do that. But it would seem kind of odd to do that because, like I said, the guy who's McCartney today, which I think is Paul McCartney, I'm pretty sure of that, but still, he is so much more talented. I mean, okay, I'll give you. Maybe Biker like an icon. All right, maybe he wishes he hadn't written that way. Maybe that was the imposter who did that song. But you know, maybe I'm amazed. Uh, Live and let die. Those are some great songs. Yeah, not bad for a, a celebrity lookalike. Let me uh, work in a phone call here. Daniel has been patient, waiting on the line. He's in Rochester. Daniel, welcome to the Conspiracy Show. Uh, thank you, Richard. I uh, I. It's it's a joy to be on your fine program here, Thank you. and uh, I uh, I want to ask you guests. Uh, I have a question coming, but let me introduce it. Um, I'm a musician. I have done some work composing in other people's styles. 
um, and uh, whether it's Bach and Mozart or Thelonious Monk or whoever, but the, it's it's very difficult, and I don't hear uh, a real difference in style between the McCartney of uh, yesterday, say, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Blackbird, uh, Blackbird, say, or or some of the uh, the other works. What can you cite as musical evidence uh, for for this? Well, what I would cite is, as you, as a musician myself, I can't tell any difference in style of playing and tone, whatever. Now, you might be able to tell if it's a Hofner bass or a Rickenbacker bass, you know, the sound quality of that. But, you know, you have your own distinctive style. When I hear Duck Dunn, I know it's Booker T. MGs. I can identify the bass part. As great musicians do, you can tell. McCartney, his style is... Well, it was so fresh at the time, and still is, that, you know, just the way he plays bass. I mean, I wouldn't call it a lead bass, but, you know, he fills in the space, he keeps it moving. And not only that, he's a fabulous guitar player, too. Uh, he does the guitar solo on Taxman, you know, which is uh, one of the best Beatles solos I know. And a pretty good drummer, and a pretty good drummer. Someone once asked him, uh, is Ringo Starr the best drummer in, in rock? And he said he's not even the best drummer in the Beatles, meaning him, he was the best drummer in the Beatles. <laughs> Well, McCartney would erase Ringo's drum parts on the White Album. He couldn't get uh, back in the USSR right, so he would record the drum parts himself, and Ringo would have to come in the next day and pretend to notice that he he wasn't the drummer on the song, and that's why he left the Beatles for a while. And if you see the movie Let It Be, at the very first, Mal Evans is putting flowers on the drums when they wrote Ringo and said, Ringo, you know, you're the only drummer for us. Please come back, and he did. So there was a lot of tension there because McCartney was very hands-on as a producer. He kept a guitar in the studio. He'd do the guitar parts. He'd do the drum parts. And uh, I think that that was a threat at a time where he was taking off more as a producer. But what a band. What fabulous music that lasts forever. And long may you reign, Paul. Yes, and, Paul. Yes, and yet the, the rumor still persists. I mean, yeah. there are there are variations on it. Some some contend that the reason that he McCartney was replaced by a double was that he was, in fact, uh, murdered, as was Lennon, as was Harrison, because they all knew too much, and you can fill in the blanks as what did they know, that they were, a, yeah. they, they were useful fools, they were a, they were a creation of MI6 or the Tavistock right. Institute, that they were... Um, they were a part of the, an actual British invasion designed to turn the American culture onto sex, drugs, and rock and roll, a distraction from the Vietnam War and, and the Kennedy assassination, and so forth. But, but isn't and, that the purpose of a great urban legend? That oh, it yes. never dies, it just continues, just picks up steam. A whole new generation hears it. Uh, they do the clues, and then they find others, and, and then someone takes it a little far out, and it makes it much more political, but you know, still, it was a it was a fabulous time to have lived. It was great music to listen to, and I tell you, I still listen to it today. Uh, and thankfully, uh, you know, McCartney and uh, still still youthful can still, uh, you know, produce an amazing uh, album. So we we can still enjoy it. And, and, and you know, he sounds a lot like the Beatles in some of his his later recordings. So yeah, well, you know that that was the style they helped develop. You know, he and John Lennon sitting in their bedrooms in Liverpool trying to get the Everly Brothers harmony down. But yet, I think the secret to rock and roll is you, you take something, then you add something to it, and then you set it down and let someone else carry it a little further. The problem in rock and roll history is no one's ever taken it further. If you take the evolution of the Beatles from, say, Rubber Soul, Revolver, 
uh, Sergeant Peppers. No other band made that type of progression. No, it's it's like they were from a different planet. I mean, when in '68, when uh, when I think they had peaked, or '67, let's say, uh, you had other bands coming over that were still sounding like you know Herman's Hermits from 1964, yeah. still doing that old Mercy Beat kind of thing, and yet the Beatles were miles ahead of them. Uh, miles ahead. Everybody was trying to catch up with them. Remember, the Rolling Stones did Her Satanic Majesty's Request to keep up with the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's album. Yeah, indeed. Hey, what are you working on these days, Gary, before we say goodnight? Well, right now, still trying to pitch a couple of television things, Richard, that we've talked about. Yes, and, yes. Uh, I'm writing some chapters in a new book now, and uh, hopefully it'll be another version of Take a Walk on the Dark Side, some more tales which means we get to come back and talk about some new stuff, and that will be fun. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Anytime, anytime, Gary. You're always uh, a pleasure to have on. Thanks for this. Gary Patterson. All right. You can follow me on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash Richard Serrett, and the website, richardserrett.com.